Good morning, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Breakfast Theology. My name is Josiah Kane, and as usual, I'm joined by the famous... <laughs> oh, not famous, Chuck Jones. <laughs> I'm that other Chuck Jones. Mm. So, we are continuing our series in emotions, and I hope you enjoyed the last two episodes in the series. This week... We're going to be talking about... Yeah, last week, having those experts in here probably <laughs> was very expensive, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, we had to fly them all the way from Illinois and, and Arizona just to have them here for you. <laughs> no, they were, they were in town, but a little extra breakfast. That's about all the cost it was. But, um, yeah. So today we're talking about joy continuing our series. And I, with much joy, bring to you this episode. Joy, I guess we should just start with the definition. Sure. Yeah, joy is just the, like, definition, dictionary definition is just kind of this expression of happiness, a feeling of gladness or happiness and that kind of thing. It's a positive thing. It is positive, yeah. It's not quite as our last two episodes of frustration and anger. So what's the Bible say about joy? I don't know, Chuck. That's why I'm asking you. No. So the first verse I think of, or some some of the first verses I think of, are uh, James chapter 1. Count it all. Yeah, that's the verse. So James 1-2 says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So just that very beginning part, when it says, Consider all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, that part of the verse is confounding. It's a little perplexing, and it's difficult to understand. It's, it's one of those verses, if you just say it out loud or you read it, it sounds kind of paradoxical or messed up, you know? Yeah. Wrong. One of those, what are you talking about, James? <laughs> Hold on here. Well, you look at it, lay it down in front of you, and it starts out with, Consider this joy mm-hmm. when you fall into all kinds of troubles. Yep. Well, the world doesn't think that way. Definitely not. Modern society doesn't think that way. Mm-mm. I mean, the newspaper, nowadays I, I see that there's so many articles about people and how bad they have it. It's just terrible how bad things are. But we can need to consider that joy. Now, joy is a thing that doesn't come immediately. What does James say? Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Okay, so there's going to be a testing of your faith first. Mm-hmm. That's going to produce something... Yep. 
that's going to do something else. Yeah, so produces endurance, and the endurance has its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Right. So the joy shouldn't come until the end. The complete and lacking for nothing. You start out by, this is going to be good. Mm-hmm. But the good isn't coming to the end. It's not going to be good all the way through. Yeah. As some people count goodness. Joy here, I think, is a perspective. Yeah. It's the ability to look beyond the immediate. Exactly. To see what is coming. And that brings us happiness. That makes us feel good, knowing what is coming in the future. Because it's assured, which is why... Eat all your broccoli. (laughs) And you'll get chocolate cake. Yeah. And And I think... The idea of being able to see that that future is why we see joy and hope talked about in the same verses often. So let me read a, a few of those here for you. So the first one I got is from Romans 12. And it says, Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. So right there we see rejoice and hope uh-huh. in the same same phrase. Again in Romans 15, 13 it says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that the power, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. And the last one I got here for us is out of Proverbs. And it is uh, ten Proverbs ten twenty eight. The hope of righteous, the hope of the righteous brings joy, but the expectation of the wicked will perish. Uh-huh. So there's just a very clear. It, it seems to me, as a, as was James was saying, that hope is tied to joy, like being able to see the future, which is what hope is. Yeah, is what joy is connected to. Anticipation. Yeah. Hope in that in that anticipation a promise and a threat. If you're threatened by someone, they're making you a promise of some bad things happening. Bad promise, yeah. But <clears throat> Which can cause fear. Mm-hmm. Fear rises up, and that fear is going to dominate your thinking. Mm-hmm. A promise of something good can spark joy, which is going to dominate your thinking. Mm-hmm. Then, make a different person out of you. Instead of fearful. You can be joyful. And I, uh, one of the verses on joy that jumps out at me is in Hebrews 12. Looking to Jesus. Always a good thing. Good thing. Looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, 
despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. It's kind of that same formula as James has, all the same components. Yep. For the joy that was set before him. Joy as a as a, a promise, a picture. Look. Here's your Brussels sprouts, but there's the chocolate cake, and it's not all gone yet. Yeah. When it comes to the kingdom, the chocolate cake is limitless. Yep. And you don't get sick when you eat it. You eat too much. Right. But this joy that was set before him, look what Jesus was able to do. Endure the cross. Yeah. We, we just got through the Easter holiday, and one of the things that is highlighted during that time is the suffering that Jesus went through. Mm-hmm. And I've heard a lot of people say, how could he do that for the joy that was set before him? Yeah. And now I'm pretty much convinced that we've got the same kind of thing going on for us. The joy that's set before us. Do we know what that is? I think I do. Okay. Good to hear. That's the kingdom. Resurrection, I think, is a big part of that. That's what I think Jesus wants to emphasize in John 16. He's talking to his disciples. And he says, Whenever a woman is in labor, she has pain because her hour has come. But when she gives birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy that a child has been born into the world. Therefore, you too have grief now, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and no one will take that joy away from you. Amen, brother. And this is talking about Jesus is foreshadowing his death and resurrection. And he's saying that you're going you're gonna to grieve when I die. But when I come back, you're going to be filled with joy. And importantly, no one will take that joy away from you. And I think what Jesus just said in that verse is that that resurrection is permanent. Yeah. You know, that joy is permanent because the effect of it is permanent. What caused it is permanent. And that is what we have to look forward to, too. Jesus came back from the dead. We are put into that same promise if we believe in him. And nothing can take that away from us because that life cannot be undone. No, but you can set it aside That's true. for something else. You can let go of it to grasp other things of the world. Yeah. Suffering may endure for the night. But, but joy comes in the morning. But mm-hmm. joy comes in the morning. I was just reading through uh, Isaiah. In Isaiah 21, there's just this two verses <coughs> where he's kind of giving oracles about a bunch of different countries that are going to suffer and that kind of thing. And he talks about Edom for two verses in chapter 21, and he says, the night watchman, or a guy will come up to the night watchman and ask, how much longer in the night? How much longer? And he says, I don't know, but morning is coming, and then it talks about how darkness will come again. And this oracle is about how Edom is going to be trapped in this cycle of darkness and, you know, pain and strife. 
Like, they're never going to kind of get out of that. Like, there'll be moments in the day, but the darkness lasts much longer. We are getting out of that cycle. You know, the world's kind of trapped in that same cycle that Edom is. Darkness. Yeah, we have maybe small moments of the day, oh, it dawns, and then the volcano erupts and covers the, <laughs> the sky with ash. We're back in our darkness. But when the kingdom comes, it's going to be eternal day. Yeah. Yeah, there is no end. Unfathomable amount of time. You can't even really wrap your head around what it means to be eternal. Sort of you can. God has put eternity in our hearts. That's true. Think of this. Can you... Have you ever experienced a time when you didn't exist? I've been alive as long as I've ever been. (laughs) Can you... Have you experienced a time when you weren't? No. I've never not been when I've been. <laughs> and so there you have it. It's I'm living in my own eternity at this point, I suppose. All you know, you've been alive. Mm-hmm. Now you know, intellectually, there's a time when you weren't around. Mm-hmm. And you know intellectually there will be a time when you won't be around. But all you know is existence. That's it. That's all you know. That's eternity. But eternity doesn't have geriatrics. (laughs) Yeah. You're right. Jerry, who? I've always wondered what age we're going to be resurrected as. You know, what are, you know, like, is Abraham going to come back at the age he died, you know, 101 or whatever? Or is he going to come back as his 25-year-old self? Or, anyway, those are yeah. all the hypotheticals we don't need to get bogged down in. But joy is a product of perspective. Yes. I think that's kind of what really I've been thinking about when I've been considering this topic is it's not a set of your circumstances that determine your joy. I think your circumstances can determine a lot of things. It can determine pain, you know. It can determine maybe happiness, I think, is slightly different than joy. Like, it can determine how much you're maybe enjoying your circumstances and we can be in the midst of difficult things and suffer I'm not taking away that I'm not not negating that Christians who are faithful do suffer but the product of the perspective of the future can produce in us joy through suffering which is kind of this I think gift of the Holy Spirit this supernatural gift that Christians have that the rest of the world rejects and doesn't understand. Yeah. I think it's one of those things that would be considered foolishness by those who don't have the spirit, who who eyes haven't been opened, to say, you're just fooling yourself that if you think you can have joy through suffering. Deluded, huh? Yeah. 
That's what Galatians 5 says. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy. And it goes on to list that as peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. But the thing that empowered Jesus, the joy set before him, and the Spirit working in his life, working with and to power him, was what got him through the cross and to the death and into resurrection. And that same spirit, I think, is going to work through us to push us through hardship and give us strength to get to joy. Well, let's see what Peter has to say. He might say something about that. Bless, this is chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his abundant mercy, has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Rejoice in that, <clears throat> that the genuineness of your faith, though it's tested, your, your faith may be found to praise, honor, and glory. That's for you. Not for Jesus, but it's for you. Mm -hmm. Because of your faith. Mm -hmm. now, if you dwell on that for a spell, it might give you some sort of an emotional response. Joy being one of them. Mm -hmm. For what's ahead of us. What lays ahead of us. Yeah. And what has been already completed on behalf. Yeah. It's our inheritance that does not fade away. Yeah. And then Peter goes on in verse 8 to say, Whom having not seen, you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Rejoice with joy inexpressible. Just dancing in the street. Pulling a David with the yeah. art coming into the, the city. And I think the uh, the expression of the joy that's laid out here is in contrast with trials. You know? And, and to be fair, I just want to be said, I think the author, I think Peter, is talking about maybe persecutions more specifically in his mind against the faith 
because I think those are the things that try our faith the most is when people specifically come after it. Um, yeah. But I think there's also a lot of life circumstances that also make our faith be pushed. You know, just financial hardship, death, you know, pain in relationships. I think all of those things are also trials that put strain on our faith and our belief. Yeah. Which is easier to believe, what you're experiencing or what you've been told? Usually our feelings are very strong indicators of what we believe. Yep. Which is why if we rely on feelings, we're like waves tossed around by the wind. We're just blown wherever the person who makes us mad takes us or the good meal that we eat takes us. You yep. know, we're just tossed around with no foundation. Yep. There was uh, many years ago in Michigan, one spring, it was wet, extra wet. It sounds like Michigan. <laughs> and uh, they showed on the news to highlight how wet it was, a barnyard. You ever worked on a farm? Yeah, a little bit. Okay, you know, when the cows have to come in to get milked, you bring them in from the field. This farmer was showing his barnyard, the cows coming into the, the barn. And this poor cow was up to its belly in mud. Mm. And it just pulled one foot out, put it down. <laughs> Pull the next one out, put it down, and had to make four trips like that. Wow. Just to get a step ahead. And I thought, I wonder how that cow is feeling. Is it upset that it's got to go through such deep mud, or is it just, this is what I got to do? And I, I, I oftentimes think that maybe Christians think they're too smart that this doesn't need to happen and we lose sight of what God's trying to do in us and for us and we just rebel against what God's doing which is a terrible thing terrible way to respond I always want to be careful when talking about joy because I think a lot of people have been hurt by the church and by by this message of joy because sometimes it sounds like as Christians we're not allowed to suffer you know we're not allowed to experience pain and doubt we're not allowed to have hardship everything in our lives needs to be you know dandy all the time that we need to be smiling and dancing in the streets green lights no traffic right jams. That is sometimes how this message of joy is portrayed. You're not joyful because you don't have enough faith. Or you're not joyful because you're making a mistake in how you think. You know? But I think the balance is that, and I think what we've read in scriptures with James and Peter, there is a both-and situation here. You can have sorrow and joy at the same time. Yep. You can experience pain while looking to the future. Yep. And I think 
the mature Christian has to be able to hold both of those things in contention. It's easier to say that Christ will come into your life and you'll never experience hardship again. You'll just have joy overflowing for every second of your day. And anything outside of that is just a failing faith or you know. But I, I don't a, think that's what Scripture says. Yes. I had a boss one time that every time you asked him, how are you doing? How are you doing today? Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. It just got to be maddening to me. One day I asked him, how are you doing? I knew what he was going to say. And so I said, Bob, don't, do you ever have a bad day? Oh, no. I said, then how do you know you're having a good one? Hmm. What God's trying to teach us in allowing these things to happen is patience, uh, contentment, and joy. And I think sometimes even to get our perspectives to rely on Him. Exactly. So, let me... If you would let me talk about Isaiah again because it's fresh on my mind. I was reading it this morning. So in the year the commander, uh, commander came to Ashdod, when Sargon, the king of Assyria, sent him and he fought against Ashdod and captured it, which is this coastal city in uh, Israel. In the time the Lord spoke through Isaiah the son of Amos, saying, Go and loosen the sackcloth from your hips and take your shoes off of your feet. And he did so, going naked and barefoot. And the Lord said, Even as my servant Isaiah has gone naked and barefoot three years as a sign and token against Egypt and Cush. So the king of Assyria will lead away the captives of Egypt and exiles of Cush, young and old, naked and barefoot, with buttocks uncovered to the shame of Egypt. Now this is kind of really weird. You're like, what's going on here? Isaiah's living this example out of what God's going to do to Egypt and Cush. And he does this in verse 5. They will be dismayed and ashamed talking about the people of Ashdod. They will be dismayed and ashamed because Cush and their hope and Egypt, their boast, so the inhabitants of the coastline will say in that day, Behold, such is our hope, where we fled for help to be delivered from the king of Assyria, and we, and we, how shall we escape? So what's going on here? Is he saying the people of the city in Israel look towards Cush and Egypt to help them fight off their troubles. But God is going to shame those nations so that these people say, how are we going to get any help? Our hope has been ashamed. Devastated. Yeah. It's not an inheritance. Or it's not a hope, as First Peter said, that can't fade. Their hope is crushed. And God does this to remind them, hey, I am your hope. <laughs> I am the one who's going to save you. I have always been here and will always be here yes. for you. Who are you trusting in? And all of that to be said is that God is our joy. And he is our hope. That's what, just finish off one, one last verse here. That's exactly what Psalm 1611 is saying. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forever. 
God is trying to remind the Israelites through Isaiah that he is their hope and joy and their salvation. And we should be very good to not forget that as well. I think some, some of the fun verses in the Old Testament have to do with idols. God says, well, why don't you go ask these idols you've been worshiping for some help? Yeah, I love when Elijah is on Mount Carnival and he's like, where's your God? Maybe he's asleep. Maybe he's out in the bathroom, you know? Yeah, maybe he took a trip. <laughs> maybe you need to yell louder. Speaking about idols just reminds me of a few passages where it says the people who made these idols will become like them, mute, deaf, unable to see, because their idols are mute and deaf and not alive. Yeah. You become like the God you worship. Yeah. So, uh, anything that you wanted to say about joy before we call this a, a job done? I had a friend who would always talk about joy. She defined joy by Jesus, others, then yourself. Put Jesus first, others second, and yourself last. J-O-Y. Get it? Mm. Clever little acronym there. Yeah. Well, I hope this episode rekindled that spark yeah. of joy in your heart to, to remember, hey, we do have promises to look forward to. That Firm promises. Imperishable. Yeah. They're like Twinkies. <laughs> Imperishable. <laughs> um, even better than Twinkies. We don't need to go into science. No. So I uh, thank you for listening to this episode. I would also encourage you to reach out to us at breakfasttheology at gmail.com. Or if you see this on a Facebook post, to leave a comment there. And we'd love to talk with you, interact with you. If you're local to the Grand Rapids area, reach out to us uh, through our email. And uh, we might even be able to have you on as a guest to the show. Maybe, yeah. If you, uh, if you reach out. So... And you don't even have to buy breakfast. Yeah, free breakfast. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening, and uh, we'll catch you next time. Bye.